Welcome to the podcast for Palmdale United Methodist Church for Sunday, February 21st, 2021. May God use this as a blessing to you today. And now, Pastor John Gentry. Amen. Thank you, worship team. That was amazing. You know, I was listening to that song and that one line that stuck out to me, in the desert of temptation lies the storm of true conversion. That is our hope throughout Lent. That as we journey through it, that God would bring us out of that, up, out of the other side of that storm. And, you know, I'm sure if you've been paying attention to the news, uh, there's been a lot of uh, talk about storms across our country, and some more intense than others. Or of course, we are continuing to pray for the people of Texas and and other people in our country who are having some very critical situations. Uh, I, I saw on social media from a friend who posted about uh, some temperatures dropping in Tulsa, where my alma mater is, and at, at one point was dropped to negative 13, which was almost a record for Tulsa. The, the, the lowest ever was negative 16. So we're definitely experiencing some cold weather, and, and, and that got me thinking about some of my own experiences, and I thought of a, a, a less... Um, a less dangerous, a more happy experience uh, with uh, cold weather recently, and it came to my mind. And I was thinking about about 20 years ago, uh, during one of my summer breaks as a high schooler, I, I hopped onto a bus with a group of friends and adult chaperones uh, from the uh, local Young Life chapter uh, in Clemson, South Carolina. And we rode the bus for 24 hours straight, uh, ending our road trip uh, at a Young Life camp called Crooked Creek uh, in Fraser, Colorado. It was mid-June, and we were super excited about the the weekend-long adventure at the camp. And so most of us had, some of us had been spending the last six months doing fundraisers, like car washes and picking up trash around local businesses to help kind of cut some of the cost of the camp. And so now we were finally here, ready to have some fun. And at that time, I was also training for cross-country, trying to get some of that off-season running in so that I would be in shape when August rolled around. And so I made plans to wake up every morning uh, before breakfast, before anybody else get that run in, stay in shape. And you you know how hard it is to get out of a warm bed, but it was especially hard that first morning because I was tired from that long overnight road trip. And it was colder in the cabin than I expected it to be. So I groggily threw on my shorts and running shoes, rubbing my tired eyes that were uh, still waking up with the rest of me. And so I stepped outside. That's when my jaw dropped. The landscape that had been green and rocky when we arrived was suddenly pure white. Snow covered the ground as far as my sleepy eyes could see. And during my run, I couldn't stop thinking about how surreal the experience felt. Snow in June, knowing this would never happen in my hometown in South Carolina, I, I didn't even know it was possible for snow to come in the summer. Is this a real thing? This happened? Uh, so when I got back to the cabin, 
everyone was still asleep, and I found my best friend uh, to wake him up and tell him the exciting news. At first, he didn't believe me. He thought I was joking, which, you know, to be fair, is my normal mode. So after I physically yanked him out of bed, looked out the window, and I saw the expressions on his face transform from shock and disbelief to wonder and amazement. Everyone, at various points in their life, experiences that phenomenon of having our expectations turned on their head. And sometimes, usually because of a certain amount of suspicion, it takes us from takes us being invited or compelled to witness the thing for ourselves. This is exactly what happens in today's uh, reading from Scripture in which Philip urges Nathaniel to come and see something so great he'd have to see it with his own eyes to believe. Welcome to the first week in a new series that we are calling Come and See Jesus in the Gospel of John. This series will carry us through the liturgical season of Lent that began this past Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, and culminates in the events of Holy Week. These six weeks of Lent are a time of preparation for Easter. You can think of it as a time of a a kind of spiritual cross-country road trip that involves a lot of staring out the window with plenty of time for reflection and prayer. And of course, there are stops along the way to stretch your spiritual legs and gas up your spiritual life and feed that growling hunger for God with habits like fasting, giving, service. You know, it's, it's, it's much, much more than simply giving up chocolate for Lent, which, according to some articles that I read online, is the number one thing that people most commonly give up for Lent. Do you think that uh, chocolate companies take a a financial dip during Lent? I'm just wondering out loud. Sorry, I'm, I'm digressing a bit. But the point is that Lent can become, if you will let it, a full bodied invitation to come and see with fresh eyes what God is doing around you and in you and even through you. It's a chance to connect with the Jesus we encounter in the Gospels, who is inviting us to experience or re-experience the adventure of following him into an entirely new and transformed life. What do you think? Is that a road trip that you'd like to take? The setting for our scripture reading today is Bethany. It's by the Jordan River, where John the Baptist is baptizing people. The handful of verses that precede today's scripture reading actually give us some, some context, so I'd like to explore those. You know, John is in a, a small community called Bethany, close by, uh, to the Jordan River, and is doing some open-air preaching to prepare people for the coming Messiah. So when he sees Jesus coming, he does exactly what he is meant to do. He points people in the direction of Jesus. Verses 35 through 39 read like this. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And when Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? 
And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. As you hear these words, who do you suppose is initiating the journey upon which these two disciples of John are about to embark? Is it John, who is the one who points out Jesus to them? Is it the two disciples who run after him? Is it Jesus who invites them to come and see? Scripture seems to speak with one voice in declaring that God is the one who initiates a relationship with us, even, even being the one who created us from the beginning. Yet, as we see in this passage, Jesus seem, or God seems to enjoy sharing the process with us. God wants to include us in the journey of discovering God's grace in our lives. J. Ramsey Michael suggests that there is a thin line between finding and being found in the storytelling of the Gospels. He writes, in Jesus' parables, for example, finding and being found are almost interchangeable metaphors for salvation, and the same is true here. There's a lot more to Jesus' invitation to come and see than meets the eye. I think we all wish it was, an easy, it was as easy as following Jesus to his house and just sitting, as, as sitting at his feet long enough to download all of the God information that we need. You know, just form a line, one by one, assembly line. Jesus tells us everything we need to know about who God is and what God wants and what we're supposed to be doing, and, and then we're good. No unanswered questions, no wandering around in the dark, no frustrations. I like to tell myself, if only it were that easy, then being a disciple of Jesus Christ would be a piece of cake. I would know what to do, and I'd just get it done, right? Nope. Nope. That's not how this works. The truth is that we often know what is likely the best thing to do, and we still don't do it anyway. Am I right? Sometimes. That's the human struggle. Not only discerning what should be done, but also finding the will to pursue it. And this is what Lent is all about. It's not about downloading or, or reprogramming code. It's not about encountering God. It is about encountering God's love and power in Jesus and experiencing the awe and the wonder that comes with it. It follows then that the spiritual disciplines of, of fasting, giving, and praying, just to name a few, are less about following rules or checking boxes and more about living life more fully and more freely. They are means of grace through which God works in us and they are active ways of saying, yes, Jesus, I will come and see. I will accept that invitation. They are ways of finding and being found at the same time. I think uh, there's an analogy to be drawn from the world of parenting. Many of you know that I'm about to become a first-time parent in just a few weeks. It's equally exciting and equally terrifying. Cordy and I have been reading up on what to expect, uh, taking classes, packing our hospital bags, getting the car seat installed, getting the nursery ready. The list goes on. And with all of these checklists and scrupulous details of preparation, Sometimes it feels like we are calculating a landing on Mars. 
and just hoping that we get all of the math right. I mean, I'm sure all of the new routines that we're about to take on will feel a little bit like exploring another planet. Uh, In all of our preparations, one of the best pieces of advice we've received was from one of Cordy's cousins, who now has three kids, and she told us from her own experience, every baby is different. And you are the ones who will know your baby the best. Trust your instincts. And although many people offer advice, always do what's best for your family. I'm definitely the person to overthink things. So these words helped put me at ease and reminded me to trust the process. When it comes to following Jesus, you've got to trust the process. You don't have to have everything figured out. You just simply need to come and see. The other day I came across a comic strip that illustrates how important it is to trust the process. It starts off with a daughter saying, Dad, can I use your tools? And he says, you bet. And then this, the dad's spouse says, You're going, that's going to end poorly. And then he says, ah, I disagree. I think it will start poorly. And he hears smash, bang, crash. But who knows how it will end? Fast forward, you get a grown-up daughter, and she says, just finished fixing the roof, Dad. He says, Thanks, sweetie. I imagine that as a parent, it takes a certain amount of trust to allow your child the freedom to explore, and perhaps an equal amount of trust for the child to embrace that opportunity. As a follower of Jesus, I know it takes a certain amount of trust to accept Jesus' invitation to come and see. The journey of Lent is an opportunity to explore. And you know what? If you decide to embark on it, you might find yourself hearing uh, some of your own sounds of banging and crashing along the way. What if if during the journey of self-reflection you come face to face with a part of yourself that you do not like? Or what if during that journey of spiritual discipline you, you slip up or just completely botch it? What if during that journey of encountering Jesus you just as quickly lose your gaze. There will always be risks in journeying with God. But I can assure you that God will be there with you along the way with the gentle reminder to come and see. You know, it may feel, or it may be that we feel a little cautious stepping into this, this year's Lent. You know, the last 11 months or so have not been a stroll in the park for, uh, for most people. And uh, on Ash Wednesday this week, I was in the church parking lot imposing ashes during the lunch hour, and several, several people shared with me about how it felt like an extra heavy day. In receiving these ashes and remembering their mortality, some thought about the people whom they had lost. Uh, a few of them had lost people during the pandemic. One person lost a son-in-law, to COVID-19. You know, it devastated the family and it left a, a deep impression on her. She remarked how her parents were gone and so were her sisters. And now a son-in-law was gone too. And it felt like her family was continuing to shrink. And then in nearly the same breath, 
she reflected on just how last week she had become a great-great-grandmother to her niece's granddaughter. And with this, while her family was shrinking, it was also growing. And that, that made her thankful. In Lent, we are confronted with a bitter taste of grief, and yet we learn that there is still life to be given. In fact, as we set our eyes towards Easter, we know that death will certainly not have the final word. You know, further on in the text, we arrive at another come and see event. Uh, this time, the invitation, the invitation comes mediated through Jesus' new disciple, Philip, who extends the invitation to Nathaniel on behalf of Jesus. And he makes a very bold claim about Jesus. Verses 45 through 46 read like this. We have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. If you consider the weight of Philip's claim, you can imagine how Nathanael might have immediately put up some red flags in his mind. I mean, what was Philip claiming? Well, oh, no big deal, just that they'd found the Messiah, the one whom all of Israel had been waiting and expecting, the one who was meant to fulfill God's promises that had been conveyed through the law and the prophets. You know, just your everyday run-of-the-mill meet-and-greet, right? Now, this was obviously a huge deal, and it, was, it had big implications for any good Jew who longed for what the Messiah would bring, assumedly peace and prosperity. So, Perhaps we can cut Nathaniel a little slack for his knee-jerk reaction when he scoffs at the thought of the Messiah coming from Nazareth. Uh, after all, Nathaniel was uh, also from a small town, the town of Cana. So he knew their way of life and, and they seemed, how they seemed to stand in the shadow of much larger and well-known cities like Jerusalem. But more importantly, Cana was near Nazareth. There were like next-door neighbors. So I can imagine Nathaniel saying something like, well, that's basically my backyard. If, we, if our long-awaited Messiah was really making his way out of Nazareth, I think I would have been one of the first people to hear about it. There's something that happens in Nathaniel in this story that transforms skepticism to curiosity and finally to wonder. It becomes wonder when he witnesses Jesus' amazing insight with his own eyes and ears. Jesus reveals to Nathanael that he has seen inside his heart, even though they've never met, and has perceived in him a person who is honest and truthful, even if it does lend itself to a little doubt and pessimism. Verses 47 through 51 read like this. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. <clears throat> you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened up 
and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. For those people who can't help but approach life with a healthy dose of skepticism, uh, or for those who are entering into this Lenten season with a feeling of reluctance, this is good news. It, does, it seems that Jesus does more than merely tolerate these questions that we're inclined to raise. He absolutely embraces them. Nathaniel isn't docked points for holding some reservations. In a way, it's, it's celebrated. You know, there, there seems to be illusions going on here, perhaps, uh, to the Old Testament figure of Jacob uh, that, by contrast, help us to see Nathaniel's purity of intention. Miriam I. Thompson writes, the description contrasts Nathaniel with Jacob, who was Jacob, who was renamed Israel, and was noted for his cunning and deceit in dealing with his father Isaac and his brother Esau. While Jacob, the conniving father of the twelve tribes of Israel, wrestled with an angel and named the place of his wrestling Peniel, the face of God, Nathaniel, a true Israelite, has seen the Son of God, the King of Israel. And that's not to discount Jacob's role in the salvation history of Israel, but it's to make a point that Nathaniel has every bit of intention to see Jesus for who he truly is. And when he does, he is amazed. He's in awe. Jesus, who has searched Nathaniel's heart and knows about his reservations and his belief in his, his believe-it-when-I-see-it attitude, he doesn't rebuke Nathaniel. Instead, he offers him a promise. If Nathaniel is willing to call Jesus Rabbi, Son of God, King of Israel, because of a simple insight from afar, then he is going to be amazed at the opportunities to deepen his faith when he becomes his follower. I wonder, has God ever done anything in your life that left your mouth hanging wide open like that? Have you ever felt surprised or overjoyed in your life because of something that God uh, was bringing to pass? Sometimes we are surprised because we had our doubts that anything would happen. You know, not everybody in Jesus' day was persuaded that Jesus was the one whom the prophets had prophesied about. Just a handful of pages later in chapter 6, a group of people standing by as Jesus teaches, they begin to dismiss what Jesus has to say because in their head they know exactly who he is. They say, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? But... We as readers of the Gospel of John know that from the very first words of the book, that Jesus comes from God. The beautiful message of today's story is that we are invited to come and see what God is doing, even when we have our doubts. Lent is a perfect time for questions. Jesus has questioned the disciples, what are you looking for? Is an exceptional question to ask ourselves in this time of Lent. It is a question that, as Miriam I. Thompson points out, urges a listener to move from sight to insight. As we prepare ourselves for this next week ahead and uh, make one step closer to Easter, my prayer for us is that we would be able to sense the Spirit of God guiding us along that journey. 
And we've mentioned this in the service already, but one tool that we can use to assist us in asking the question, what are you looking for, is 40 form. And if you haven't signed up for 40 form, it's not too late. You can find the registration in our church app, and after you sign up, you'll be emailed a reflective question every day during Lent. And whether you choose to join the church in using 40 form uh, or have a different idea for walking through Lent, Jesus is inviting us to encounter an encounter that will change our lives forever. If you're willing to answer the call to come and see, I assure you this Lent will be an amazing journey. I am confident that Jesus will draw us closer. We may still have some questions when it's all said and done, but we will not be the same. Would you pray with me? Oh God, as we come to you, bringing with us our hopes and our questions, we ask that you would give us eyes to see, eyes to see the glory of God in Jesus, so that we would be filled with awe and wonder, so that we would find and be found, so that the journey may continue. Amen.